0: This is the Adopted Bond Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast, Season 1, Episode 9. I am Alex Fitton, and I've been having so much fun doing this podcast and bringing you stories and tips and encouragement from real-life characters in this adoption game. And I'm so glad you're here. I'm thankful for all the reviews, and I wanted to read a few of them, just like I did last week. So Michelle S- Michelle Smittle excuse me, says, I've been listening to everyone I can find find regarding foster and adoptive parenting and this is my favorite by far while no two stories are the same the adoptive mom does a great job of exploring the unique experiences of each family and never shies away from the hard questions as a foster and adoptive mom myself this podcast has been so encouraging to me i can't wait for more episodes thank you so much michelle i love putting out new episodes and i love that they're touching other people's lives um this person it's aklx I class I don't know how you would say that but she or he says after the first episode I've been hooked the guests and stories are powerful and Alex is very engaging as an adoptive mom I feel like I should be taking notes because it is one great nugget after the next thank you so so much and A. Yayak says, I have loved every episode. Keep them coming. So if you would like to have your review read aloud or be featured, then go over to iTunes and leave a review for me. It'll only take a few minutes, even if you just do a star review without the actual words portion of it. That really helps this podcast out, and I'm so grateful to read this feedback. So today, we get to hear from Annie Martin. She is an adoptive mom of eight children like none of them are biological it's insane but they're so awesome and all of them are young and at home so they're still in the actual throes of this crazy thing and i've loved her story because they somehow just have this supernatural capacity to pray for and engage with other adoptive families and minister to them even while their lives are seemingly on fire too um, she and her husband, Waylon, are the directors of Grace Haven Ministries. You've heard me talk about this on the podcast. Me and, um, me and Michelle went into more detail about this awesome ministry. They serve to, um, they serve adoptive families by just putting their arms around, and, around them, helping them find the services they need, giving them counseling for free sometimes and just encouraging them. And a lot of that encouragement comes directly from Annie herself. And she's just great. She's always there to let you vent. She can always take the real questions, the hard questions, and there is absolutely no judgment. And I love, love, love talking to her and Waylon. They're both just great. So today we're going to talk about some of those hard behaviors that we experience as adoptive families and how we have been blessed by God and how he uses other people in our lives to 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 minister to us and to bless us, and it was just such an amazing conversation, and I'm so excited for you to hear it. So let's get right to it. My interview with Annie Martin. All right. Hey, everyone. Hey, Annie. How's it going? Hi, Alex. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Um, So I've been... I'm not sick anymore, but I was sick. So that's what the, the sultry voice is over here. I know that you've had some sickness in your family too. So bear with me. <laughs> um. Okay. So yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How many kids you have, ages, name, stuff like that. Okay. I will. My husband and I um,
1: actually met years ago. Probably before you were born, way back in way back in two thousand and two, and we got married in two thousand and three. We met online, um, which I think some people find scandalous, but we laugh and tell them it was our it, it's our story. When they say something like "Oh, you met online," and then they don't know what else to say, um, <laughs> so um, interesting, mysterious. It, it is. It is kind of interesting, and we talked for a long time before we actually decided to meet one another, Um, but we met, and I mean, just instantly. We were already, like, best friends, and so we met, and I feel like we immediately fell in love, and we were married seven short months later, basically, Um, and so we we just um, had a very, very small engagement, very small courtship, and... Have been married since um, August of two thousand and three. So, um, we started our family. We actually wanted to start a family right away, and um, struggled with infertility for several years. And during our entire time of struggling with infertility, um, just kept asking asking God for a family. And um, Waylon was working in kind of a social work role with, with children. Um, through a local organization as a teacher to really hard preschoolers like kids that it's, it's hard to believe that a three-year-old can be kicked out of preschool, but they can. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, he was working with like three and four-year-olds that um, were really, really tough. And we, um, he was being drawn to foster because he was interacting a lot with DHS um, several of his kids had caseworkers, and just talking with them, um, hearing DHS workers say, These kids are hard to place. Um, and so he was really being drawn and filling that pool. And we were asking God for a family. And um, we both kind of came to an agreement that um, we wanted to start pursuing foster care. And we DHS lost our paperwork several times. Um, <laughs> That's I awesome! Know, like super surprising. It took us like over a year to even be invited to our first training um, because they lost our paperwork. Oh my goodness! Um, well,
0: and hang on. So let's let's back up a little bit. You guys, um, you guys did not train through the call, right? Like this was pre pre call in Northwest Arkansas, right?
1: <laughs> exactly. This was very pre call. Yeah, there was. No, oh, I was gonna say we actually had to seek out DHS ourselves. Goodness.
0: So, That's yeah. crazy. So you have for everyone listening, you have like a whole bunch yeah. of kids. <laughs> uh, yes. And I think we've we already do. we've already hinted that none of them um are biological, which means none that you are, are just a really crazy person, but you're a really awesome person. <laughs> so okay, so you have eight kids. Start from the top eight. and work your way down. Who who we got here?
1: Gavin is sixteen. Hannah is 15, and biologically, their brother Tevin is 12, Um, and so we have the three of them. Um, Chloe is 13, and Delilah and Shelby are twins, and they're nine, and they are biologically sisters. And then we have Truman, who's six, and Hibben will be, um, as of this today, taping, he'll be three on Thursday.
0: (gasps) Wow. Oh, sweet Hibben. He and yes, he and uh, Grady are about the same age. I always forget that.
1: Yes, they are.
0: So, okay. So that's, that's two or three sibling groups. I always forget two sibling groups of three, two sibling groups of three. So your standalones are Hibben and Chloe Hibben and Truman Truman. Okay. I'm sorry. See, I even get it mixed up. I don't know how you keep it straight, but you're kind of (laughs) a superwoman, So it doesn't surprise me. (laughs)
1: everybody everybody gets it mixed up and if you look at the kids like they all look alike so you can't just go go through and pick and say man i bet that one's no they they all look alike so um yeah it's hannah gavin and tevin chloe and the twins and then truman's and then hibben separately
0: Wow. Okay. And then what was the year span that you got him? Like Gavin was your first, or I mean, I'm sorry, his sibling group was your first and Hibben was your last. How many years between placement was that?
1: Um, We got Gavin in 2007 and he was our first placement. Um, And then Hibben came to us. He was placed with us just a few weeks after birth in, um, in October of 2014.
0: Okay, so just not very long then. <laughs> right. For eight kids, only seven years from seven, start seven to finish. Years. Goodness. Okay, girl. So, all right, work is from the beginning of this story. You kind of started about it, just um, how you got into the foster care business and, and what – I mean, I there's so much more to this story just about how you guys have been involved involved in the call. And I know you didn't start there, but you guys are kind of like – really famous in the fall, the call community. So let's, let's talk about that. Tell us your story.
1: Well, we, um, we did, we started fostering in 2007 and we got Gavin and then a week later, Tevin came to us and we fostered them. Um, and for six months, I will not lie. I cried every night. I would just look at Waylon and I would say, I will be so glad when their mom gets her stuff together and these kids go home. I'm ready to have my life back because (laughs) we had been so alone for so long. And then suddenly there were these two kids who needed me constantly. Um, And I was a little bit selfish back then. And I I was not sure I was ready to be the mom that they needed. So um, for six months, Really, from April until September, I was just um, waiting for them to go home and for my life to return to normal, and this whole foster care thing had been fun, and then it was over, and I was going to move on to something new and find a maybe get a puppy. (laughs) Um, Wow. And um, in September, we received a phone call. Gavin had actually gone into the hospital because he was very sick. He had um, some asthma problems. And had gone into the hospital and was there for a couple of days while we were there in the middle of dealing with him being very ill. Um, called DHS to let them know. And I'm talking to the worker and she said, okay, well, do you need me to send somebody to sit with him? And I was super confused. No, we've got this. I'm pretty good at sitting at the hospital. I can take care of him. And um, she was shocked that we were going to do that um, and that we weren't asking for DHS to come and sit with him around the clock. And, and then um, she said, well, I've got some news. There's a um, home that um, a group home that's opened up near where their mom is incarcerated. And we're going to send the three kids. um, We've been doing sibling visits with our sister, Hannah. uh, We're going to send the three kids to I'm um, living that group home, probably like when he gets out of the hospital. Wow. And I, I, we were like shocked and a little bit devastated and trying to deal with his illness and being in the hospital and getting this information. And like this ferocious mama bear just like came out inside of me. And, and I think it was something that I didn't even expect Uh, But I was just like, no, that's the, these kids have never even had a Christmas. Like when I asked them what they wanted for Christmas, they were telling me what, what is that? We don't know what that means. Wow. Do we get gifts? And and Gavin was six at that point and was like super, you know, excited about what this holiday season was going to hold for them. And so I made a plea with the area director at the time that he would give me a month to find a home because the home that we lived in, in Rogers, uh, was only big enough to hold us and the boys. It was two bedrooms, so Waylon and I had the master bedroom and the boys had the spare bedroom, but they were court-ordered to be with their sister if there was an open home with openings. And so um, I got a quick delay of that while we immediately started searching for a home home for all of us, so that they their sister could move in with us, and we could keep them together and in a home with a mom and dad for Christmas, which was I felt of the utmost importance to us. And um, within within a week, I had while he was in the hospital, actually, I had secured a new house, put all of the down payments and everything we needed um, on that rental and, um, prepared and started moving our family in basically from the hospital room. Um, we then, um, notified everybody and, uh, by he was hospitalized the very last week of September and by November 1st, um, Hannah was moved in with us. So it was, we, we fought, we, came through on our end um, and were able to uh, get them together and um, really didn't know what the the plan was at that point. Um, We were, you know, we were in it for the long haul. We were expecting that we would keep them until they could go home or whatever the, the ending of that story looked like. Um, But we definitely wanted them to be together and um, just be in a home for Christmas. So, We were very lucky that that happened, and we continued to live in that house for um, about eighteen months. And during that time, fostered just a couple of kids, um, but really felt God calling on our heart um, that we needed a bigger place. Um, We ended up uh, adopting Hannah and Gavin and Tevin um, in March of two thousand and nine and um continued to look for a home where we could actually expand our family even more and um really lucked into the the house that we live in now um moved in here on um memorial day weekend the last weekend in may of two thousand and nine and DHS came out. Um, I can remember our resource worker came out and he was just the nicest man came and looked at our house because DHS has to approve that. Yes, you've moved and it's a safe place for the kids and then, Oh, and there's space for more kids. And so he came (laughs) in and he looked and he, you know, checked all of the things and and um said well you've got room for eight we had we had actually at that moment had five um we had our three that we had already adopted and then two that we were fostering and he said the last thing he said to us as he walked out the door was just because you have room for eight doesn't mean you have to take it right away just go slow because i don't want you to become overwhelmed (laughs) and i smiled and nodded at him but i had already promised um DHS that I would take the twins and Chloe um, because they had called me about three weeks before we moved and asked if we had room for them. And I told them that we were getting ready to move and that we would be happy to take them when we were done. So we left the meeting with him where he smiled at me and told me not to (laughs) (laughs) and drove all the way to Berryville and picked up um, um, Chloe, Delilah and Shelby in the DHS parking lot of Barry, uh, Carroll County in Barryville, Arkansas.
0: Awesome! Oh my gosh! So, and then we know that we know that the other two came a little bit later. Do you have Do you have stats on how many aside from your eight that you have whew, adapted? How many foster kids did you have?
1: Well, including our eight, we had sixty five um, oh children gosh. that we fostered through the. Um, we fostered for a little over eight years. And um, so we had, and some of those were really only 24 hour, like they spent the night. Um, We had a teen girl when we were living at the other house in Centerton who came and I really felt like she would just bolt out the door. Um, So I actually had her leave her bags and things in my room So that if she was going to leave, I would at least hear her grab this stuff. I had my door open and said, I'm going to just set your bags right here. If you need them, they'll be here all night. Uh, But I really thought she was going to, she was going to bolt. And so she didn't, we made it through that night and DHS was able to pick her up the next day and got her into um, a a group home that, that she was actually excited about. But I really didn't know if she was going to spend the night. So um, we had lots of cases from teenagers down to infants. We had an infant for um, 10 months that was with us biologically related to my twins. um, And he moved on to um, a biological relative of another biological relative um, of his own. And
0: wow, um, I didn't know that
1: actually. We had actually had him since he was three weeks old. So wow. Wow. Um, yeah, we have, we've just, we've experienced kind of the, the entire stretch of, of little ones all the way to teenagers. And, um, you know, I feel like we, we have a place in our heart for every one of them.
0: Uh, yeah. And so now you guys see why they're kind of famous in the cult community. (laughs) They're kind Mm -hmm. of rock stars. Um, and we just, I, I think that I should, preface all of this by saying that, you know, for a long time, you and I had never actually met face to face that you reached out to me on Facebook right after we got Clark. And I was like, "Um, please help me because I'm freaking out. (laughs) And you messaged me and you were so nice. And I was just I was about to just pull all of my hair out because I had no idea what I was doing. And I still was naive enough to think that like all the lovey feelings were just supposed to like happen. And I was like, what's wrong here? Nothing's happening. I don't even like this kid. And you were like, it's okay. I promise it's okay. Um, and you've been able to help so many other people like that. And I think that part of that, you know, and you, you provided a nice segue just talking about that teen girl that you thought was going to bolt, but you know, you've, you've said that almost all of your children have pretty extreme behaviors, right? That's true. Yes. And I've Um, always just been so impressed with you that you you see, I know that, and I'm glad that you said that you cried every day for six months. And I remember you telling me that and making me feel so much better because on the outside, it's so easy to look at you and be like, wow, you've got, you know, kids that have such extreme behaviors and we can go into those a little bit if you don't mind, but you seem to handle it all in stride. And it, it took me getting to know you a little bit more to learn how you handle that. And a lot of it is just through prayer and through support of other people. And I, I really want us to get into what makes all that possible because I've just been so impressed with how you handle it. So is that cool with you? I think that's great. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So yeah, let's just talk about some of those extreme behaviors that you deal with just to set the, set the stage for, um, how you handle it.
1: Oh gosh. Well, We've seen a lot of behaviors um, uh, from sexualized behaviors um, where we have, um, you know, kiddos, even teenagers in our home that have crossed lines and touched other kids. Um, We actually had a moment like that a couple of years back and had to make a hotline call ourselves um, and actually step through both the side of the victim and the side of the perpetrator, and work through that with kiddos that um, we had in our home at wow. the time. And, um, you know, I can say that everything we've done, we have an amazing pastor and his wife who, um, you know, would drop anything to come pray with us um, while the the child was um, was actually taken to the police station and questioned um, and I did not feel like I was even strong enough to go. Um, And, you know, where, where my feet can't take me um, God is always with us. And so um, our pastor actually accompanied Waylon and the child to the police station and um, was just there for them while the child was questioned. And, um, you know, just, I think the biggest thing for me is, is being transparent with others. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, when you have a a situation like that, I can't go in saying nothing happened. No, nothing happened and we're fine and everything's fine because if you're not willing to say, I need help, then nobody can, nobody can stand with you. um, And you just have to stand alone. And, and I'm just not strong enough for that. (laughs) We, we need, we need our people standing with us, and, and you know, it, it is hard to, to say, gosh, I've got a, a kiddo in counseling who's really struggling, or a child that, you know, has had this whatever behavior, but, um, it, you know, knowing that you've got people who are not going to criticize you, are not going to, um, you know question your parenting and just love you through whatever situation I think is super important um, with Grace Haven, which is a, a great nonprofit that Wayland and I are working through now um, to support adoptive families right. once the adoption finalized and up to adoption. If they, if people are, are quite, you know, have questions and all of that, you know, we've met um, Tina and Randy Kasirik, We've met um, Rebecca Price and Angie Milner and, and the team that we've built there, um, you know, if 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 I am scared or if I am concerned, I can turn to them and just say, "Guys, you know, this this horrible thing happened," and um, and and they're right there. We had a few months ago, our daughter Hannah um, struggles with; um, she's been diagnosed with cyclothymic disorder, which is hmm. similar to a bipolar disorder. It basically is a cycle. That is um, mood swings up and down. Okay. Um, and can make her very depressed, or she gets um, suicidal and has some self harming behaviors. Can also make her get to like manic, homicidal stages almost. Um, and she struggles a lot with that. Um, and she had a really rough weekend. And. Um, we had asked her to be in a room some and kind of had to isolate her away from her brothers and sisters. And she is, and was in, has graduated now praise Jesus um, a day treatment facility where she was receiving like group therapies and school at the same time.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, she actually went in and reported to them um, about a year ago that we had locked her in a closet for the entire weekend Um, and so DHS had to come out and, and actually do a complete investigation and there aren't on any of our closet doors or anything like that. But the stress of those times, the stress of my kids being interviewed by DHS and what that brings out in them, not just, Oh my gosh, this is happening, which is stressful enough. But then the feelings, because they're all from foster care so so to say that's not, that's not the first
0: time that that's happened exactly, to them this, so that
1: this is a lead into something that has happened before and they were removed from their parents the behaviors that that then escalates is it's just hard and um you know we've walked through so many hard things and i think i keep my positive outlook and um have been able to to have a positive outlook for it because we are so passionate about helping people who are in foster care, who are in adoption. We worked with a call, I think, like you said, for the longest time. Um, And uh, now we are working with Grace Haven and with every single, you know, every time we hit one of those roadblocks, every time we hit a barrier, whether it's a child's behavior, whether it's a call from DHS that they're coming to investigate our home, I, I can look at those things and say, I really feel like God put us here because there's going to be a parent who is going through this and they need to know someone else has been through these steps. Oh yeah. And knows those feelings because if it's so, it's hard to describe the feeling when you get next to another mom and you say this has happened and they can say it happened to me too.
0: Well, and I think that that's, I mean, and I want to get into Grace Haven later, um, but I'm glad that you brought it up because I think that it wouldn't be possible. I mean, you were talking about Tina and Rebecca and Randy and all of those people. But I think that, I think that your transparency led the way into those relationships because you, you have been that. And I think that that's so important. You have been that transparent. You've been that, that shoulder to cry on for moms who just feel like they can't do it anymore. And you know, you wouldn't be that if you weren't transparent. You wouldn't be that if you weren't able to have walked through. If you hadn't have walked through those things and had those experiences to share and been willing to share them, then, you know, where you would just. You would be a great adoptive mom, but now you're so much more than that because you're able to be that resource. And so, I mean, we've talked about just some of those extreme behaviors and just from knowing you, I know that you guys Seemingly, it, it feels like there's something going on constantly. I mean, you have a roller coaster between, you know, porn, between attractions, to some <laughs> dangerous things, between some, you know, the sexual behaviors that you talked about, between, you know, yes. fire starting and just all kinds of stuff. And it's just like, I constantly am just like, how does Annie do this? And the thing that, that continually comes to me as you're telling, you're telling me about these things willingly, which is great. That's what, that's that transparency we were talking about. And, the word prayer is just constantly on your mind on your, you know, in your texts and on in your, out of your mouth on the phone and everything is just constantly talking about how you're praying about it. And I wish that I, I wish that that came more naturally to me. And I I've been getting so much better kind of with you as, as an inspiration, but oh. how, um, let's talk about that a little bit, uh, a bit just about leaning on God for every little thing, because it feels like, It feels like those walls should have come crashing in on you guys a long time ago, but they haven't. Why? Why is that?
1: Well, and I I completely agree with you. It is is prayer, and it is—we have seen so many acts of God's love toward our family. Uh, I just—I wish I could tell you about every single one of them. From the moment that we stepped into this house and knew that God handed it to us, not because He wanted— Annie and Waylon to have this house, but because he wanted it to be used for, for something greater than, than anything Waylon or I can do. Um, From, um, you know, we had a church pull up here. Um, I was actually very sick with pneumonia. It's been almost two years ago. It will be two years this Christmas. And um, the First Baptist Church Rogers uh, sent a team out a couple of days before um, with, some goodies for our kids. And um, we didn't realize that they were coming and kind of were having a tight Christmas anyway. And um, they just showed up with a bunch of wrapped gifts for our children. And so we were pleasantly surprised and we were just like in awe of God's goodness. And um, two days later or three days later, um, a man shows up on our doorstep and rings the doorbell. And I was I was literally sick in bed. I didn't realize that I had pneumonia, but I was very ill and just trying to get through the Christmas season. It was the day before Christmas Eve. So December 23rd and, um, just wanted to get my kids through Christmas before I went to see the doctor or anything. And, um, uh, the doorbell rings and Waylon goes to answer the door and a man is standing at our door and said, hi, I'm the pastor and introduced himself and, um, you know, is talking with Waylon. And did you get the gifts that we sent for your family? And Waylon is saying, thank you. And, um, you know, in his mind, this is really impressed that This pastor came to check on us. And um, the pastor hands him an envelope and a set of keys and said, well, we heard. Gosh, I'm gonna try not to cry. Oh, girl, um, it's okay. <laughs> we we heard that your family has been struggling because you have adopted or are in process of adopting eight beautiful children, but you don't have a vehicle that'll get you um, two places together. And our church has purchased you a van. Wow! And um, they gave us the keys to the van and the bill of sale and the um, the a check for the taxes they'd already called and had the taxes figured. And um, it, it was just blessed upon us. And um, it was, it's just so funny because I feel like my husband, uh, you know, sometimes you forget how important that that prayer is and just affirming that God is going to give you something. And that year, Um, you know, seemingly insignificant, but not really. Um, We had been contacted by um, a member of the Project Zero team, uh, Michelle. We love them. Yes. Well, and And Michelle is on the podcast too. Oh, awesome. Yes. Well, she, um, she had reached out to us and said, Hey, um, we know that you've adopted a couple of teenagers and we've got some, some tickets to an Arkansas football game. And would you like to go? And Waylon was just like, yes, this would be awesome. And and he thought, man, Gavin and I could just have such a bonding moment because Gavin had never been to a Razorback football game, and we certainly couldn't have afforded to take him. And so he was real excited. And then she called back and said, hey, we've got a couple more tickets. And so he was going to take a couple more of our kids. And he looked at me one day because I was a little bit, I'm just going to say it. I was a little bit jealous. <laughs> and um, he said, you know, one of these days, God is just going to allow us to have one of those, um, you know, a, a booth. or You know, one of the, the enclosed um, spaces at the, at the football game. We're going to yeah, get to watch yeah. the football game together because, you know, skybox. There we go. <sighs> anyway, he says, because that's the only way we could take all of our kids with their sensory needs, with their... Truman, my gosh, he's like Houdini. We, we haven't even talked about him yet, but he is like totally an escape artist. Um, and so he's like, this is the only way we could watch together, but I know God is going to do this for us. And he said, I just feel it. And so we start, like we would talk in um, over the next few weeks, like, well, when God gives us that then we're all going to go. We would tell the kids this just affirming like God is so good to our family. When he does this, we'll all go to the football game, but you know, this time it's just, it's going to be Hannah and Gavin. And um, like two days before the game, we receive another phone call from Michelle. And she says to us, there's this firm. Uh, it was a law firm in um, little Rock, or uh, right near little rock who has, skybox that they aren't going to be using for the game. And they've donated it to project zero. Would your family like this skybox?
0: Oh my gosh. That's amazing.
1: And so, um, we, I looked at Waylon in this moment, of course we were like, yeah, this will be amazing. And so we took our kids and we went to this game and we were, it was amazing. And, um, then we like, I looked at Waylon and I said to him, honey, You've got to start saying when God gives us a plan, not not you know make it, but you set it for this. And it, there was also another moment where um, we were just talking, and seemingly insignificant, but it's really not about um, needing food for our kids, needing to be able to fill our freezer. And randomly, we were called by somebody who brought food and like filled our freezer, and talking about how God was going to do that and. I think having that confidence and just knowing and and praying that, but but not even just praying, but just saying God's going to do this for us because we can't do it by ourselves and just being, you know, just being that affirmative to our kids, to, you know, to ourselves and just know that God's always got it. And, um, you know, it may take time. It's not always in our
0: time when we think it's going to come,
1: but he never fails us. Never.
0: Yeah. Oh, so amazing. And you've been able to, you've been able to share that in so many different ways with, with hurting mamas and dads and whoever else and, and, and prayed for them. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a text from you that's like, Hey, you know, Waylon and I just spent some time praying for your family. How, you know, what's an update? How's it going? And I'm just always astounded. And I know I shouldn't be because God's people are so amazing always, but I'm always just like, oh my gosh, like what an encouragement that, you know, that, that, that we were on your mind and that you spent time on our family because I think of it and I'm like, I don't know how she time, has time for anything <laughs> outside of, of her own family. <laughs> and, you know, because of the, some of, I mean, eight kids is crazy enough just in and it of itself. And on top of that, you have things like, you know, children escaping out of nowhere and starting <laughs> fires and just, you know, running away and all those fun things that, we uh deal with as as adoptive parents and foster parents and just you know parents of kids that have been traumatized in general um and so you have still managed to give back i think we've already established that um so you were working with the call for a long time and you guys were trainers and you didn't train us but you were training a different group At the same the same weekend as ours. And so you were kind of across the hall. But again, I never actually saw you. Um, And now you're working with Grace Haven. And I want you to tell us a little bit about that. Um, because you've always just been such a support. We've talked about that a lot in this interview and that's essentially the heart of what Grace Haven is. And although you weren't the founder, you are super close to the founders. We've talked about them a little bit, Tina and Randy, and now you and your husband, Waylon are kind of the directors of this amazing ministry. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yes. Well, um, Waylon and I, um, were um, foster parents for a long time. We talked about that earlier and really um, knew that our foster parent journey was coming to an end in Arkansas. They will allow you to have eight kids. Not very many people get that crazy, but we did. (laughs) And the overachievers. um, Oh yeah, exactly. We're overachievers. So we got, (laughs) to that eighth child and knew that we were coming to an end in our foster parent journey and um, really started feeling God just tug at our hearts about um, the adoption community and and kind of what resources were out there for adoptive parents. And um, I started doing some research. and I really kind of got Waylon involved in doing some research. And we both just looked at not only Northwest Arkansas, but really nationwide at what kind of resources were out there for families who adopt and really found that there was a lack of resources, that there are very few organizations or or groups out there that help support families after the ink is dry, let's say, um, on an adoption. (laughs) Um, You know, most of the time you've got a... Um, if you if you adopt internationally, you've got somebody who comes in a couple of times after the adoption and they just make sure, hey, everything's going great, wonderful. They nod their head and then they're gone. Um, with foster care, you don't even have that. You have a, a great day. You go in front of the judge. You have an adoption and then you're like, it's over. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. there's not anybody there to, to hold your hand anymore. So. If you, you know, when you, when you were walking through, whether you were going through an agency, whether you were going through foster care, whatever, you kind of had somebody holding your hand through this whole process. And then suddenly you're like, where did they go? And so Wayland and I really started looking and, um, I actually went through a, a period of just really deep depression and, um, kind of a, a loss of, of who I was and really what kind of mom I was as I was grieving some of those things that normal, well, I don't know if normal is a word, but normal moms get to have. Um, and I think that that is, you know, really hard for adoptive parents. And, and like, you know, you see kids prom is a prime example for me. That's a trigger. So when prom rolls around and I can't, I, I know my kids right now are just not able and capable, even though I have children old enough to be able to, to experience those things. And those are things that as a mom that I'm not experiencing, I, I grieve those moments mm-hmm. and um, went through a kind of a grieving process with some of the um, behaviors we were seeing with some of our kids that, we had adopted much earlier, but now are hitting teenage years, and and we're really um, missing out on some things, and um, just really went through a really deep depression, um, and we sort of isolated ourselves um, on purpose from church, from uh, even our, our call group that, that we had been very close with. Um, just really feeling um, lost, and a lot of that was was me as I was battling um, some of those griefs and didn't really know where to turn. And um, as I, I didn't even realize at the time that I was I was majorly depressed. Um, I actually became almost agoraphobic, and I wow. would I, I really didn't leave my house um, for about six months unless I had to and um, really just I I mean it was super severe Um, for a little while just in being afraid that if I went out somebody would ask me a question about one of the children or that I wouldn't have an answer and I wouldn't know what to say or that (laughs) if I took the kids out that they would behave inappropriately and people would look at me and like there was a really big gap and a big loss there for us and um, when I came out of that as I came out of that and as I came out of that darkness and we began getting back into church we began going back to those you know groups and getting trying to get ourselves back out there trying to get me back out um, realized that there wasn't support for families in adoption and that there has to be um, and so we, in, in going through this this really hard time, um, met with Tina and Randy um, after we, we basically wanted to just know where their hearts were because we didn't want to step on their toes, but we felt like God was, was saying to Waylon and I that there had to be an organization for support of adoptive parents. And so... Um, we, we asked to meet with them. They were relative strangers to us. They were Facebook friends and not really um, any other interactions that we had had. But we knew that they supported adoption and we knew that that was part of their heart. And we wanted to see how we could work together or how we could at least work and not interfere with whatever they were doing. We knew that they do great things and have a great heart and so we met with them uh, one afternoon and just sort of spilled our heart to them and told them kind of the things that God had laid on our hearts, um, what we wanted the organization to look like, the kind of support we wanted to give to families. And we left the meeting, both Tina and I, in tears because it was, um, for her, it uh, just hearing what God had placed on their heart 10 years before and us being able to to, to mirror that to them and have that same image on our heart from God. And I, we just became fast friends. We both, um, both of the couples had the same goals. Um, and within a very short period of time, like within seven days, um, Rebecca, Price, um, amazing counselor and social worker um, who had worked with the Castirics before, reached out to them and said she felt like her heart was being pulled to um, help adoptive families, and how could she help? And and we sort of just came together and created this family out of this, you know, the broken pieces that God had had kind of laid out there, and we have forged along and um you know made a a bunch of slow movements um that re but really impactful movements to help families and get our name out there and um just you know just reaching out to families in crisis families that are going through similar things um isolation dealing with hospitalizations dealing with just Uh, for instance, I had a mom call me, um, two weeks ago who just brought a child home from another country. And as I was speaking with her on the phone, she was just saying, you know, I I don't even have anybody in my, my area that understands or has ever adopted. And, um, she kind of paused and I said, and it's not what you thought it was going to be. He's been here less than two months. And, she just started crying on the phone with me and she said, I don't feel like there's anybody I can say because everybody says, look at your beautiful child. And I don't feel like there's anyone I can say to. I'm really having a hard time attaching to him. And I think that that is definitely something that, um, you know, that, that adoptive families struggle with and people, who are outside of adoption don't necessarily see that struggle with that attachment, that struggle with, with how does this new amazing creature fit into my family? And what does that look like?
0: Exactly. And, and, and people think that if it's hard, then it, then it's not meant to be. And I think that a lot of people look at adoptive families like saints, like, oh, it's so great that you just have all this abundance of love in your heart. And that, you know, this seems natural to you and people don't realize that it's, it's not natural. It's not, you know, that's, that's not the way God designed it. And it takes work and it takes struggle. And I mean, sometimes it's more natural or easier than others, but, um, I think there's so much loneliness in that place because people just want to see the pretty. They want to see the, the beautiful story and the, you know, the touching moments and everything. But a lot of times people don't even see the need to be there for families when, when they're not feeling it, you know?
1: Yes. Yes. And we see that all the time. Um, Even with families like, you know, a family, their own biological family, not understanding like um, uh, an adoptive mom's own mom and dad don't see and, and are not able to grasp the adoption in the same way And so you've got this mom and this dad who are out here in this really hard spot, trying to attach, trying to work on bringing the, the, you know, unity to their family. And they've got other family that they've relied on for their entire lives that now don't understand. And and it can be very isolating. It can be very lonely. And Mm -hmm. we... At Grace Haven, you know, it's our passion and our mission to make sure that families are not alone. Um, There's so much help out there. There are so many counseling places, places that you can get a child into that provide help for a child, and we want to do those things too, but there are so very few places where a mom and a dad can turn for help and support, and that's where... We hope to encompass a family as a whole and look at it as a whole unit um, and, and really support the entire unit and not just the child, because I think that's where part of that myth comes into, oh, well, if a child is adopted, then they need help. No, if a child is adopted, the entire family needs help. It's not uh-huh. just there's a problem with the child and, or there's a solution that can be found only with the child. It, everybody needs help it, and everybody needs that shoulder when that adoption has taken place.
0: Yes. Well, and, and I, Grace Haven became a thing for us last fall. And again, you had been a support for me. You had been that person that I could text and just say, I don't know what is going on in this child's head, but I don't like, I feel like I'm going crazy. And I, I had sent so many SOS texts to you that at that point. But I think even you knew that this one was different. And it was after Clark had run away for the umpteenth time and thrown things and whatever else. And I texted you, Annie. I j- I cannot do this anymore. And um, we've talked about Rebecca, and she is the the counselor, the director of um, counseling services at Grace Haven. And at this point, I like knew that Grace Haven was a Facebook group, but I didn't know a lot about it. Um, I didn't realize how extensive the support was and you texted me back. Rebecca will be at your house today. And she was there an hour later. And so, I mean, Grace Haven changed the the story of our adoption and I, obviously we owe that to God, but we owe that, you know, he used you specifically to, to help us with that and to get us to where we are now. And so we're so grateful for that, but I want to make sure that everyone listening understands that that is absolutely accessible to them as well.
1: Absolutely. Um, We are four families local here in Northwest Arkansas. We will come to you. We will meet with you, um, you know, whatever services we can provide, whether it's they, you know, mom needs a shoulder and that can be mine. That could be Tina's. That could be Rebecca's. That could be Angie's or, whether it is a dad who needs some support and just needs some uplifting because Waylon um, and Randy would be more than happy to, to reach out and do that. Um, or, you know, if, there, if you need us to come in and, and just be at your house and be that supportive person, um, you know, having a counselor there, being able to help you navigate some of those difficult things. Whatever we can do. If you are not local to Northwest Arkansas but you need us, um, we are absolutely still there for you. Whether you find us on Facebook um, or reach out to us uh, with a phone call, we will do what we can to walk with you through it over the phone, um, to answer questions in an email. I mean, whatever we can do to to help get you resources in your area. We've had I've had families call from Oklahoma City from different cities in Texas. Um, we've talked to families in, I've talked to families in Michigan. I mean, all over, all over the country, um, who will call and we do our best to be number one listeners, but then find resources for them in their area. Um, whether it's, um, trauma-based counselors, um, whatever we can do to help. Um, Some we've had people reach out for us asking for help finding um, an inpatient hospital for their child. And we've done that too. Whatever we can do to help the family find the resources that they are currently seeking, um, we're going to do and um, just, just be there however we can for any family that has adopted.
0: Yes. And I mean, that's our story as well. You, you, I mean, Clark is currently not living in our house and that's, um, I mean, I say that's thanks to you. And I don't mean that in a sarcastic way, but I just mean like it, it took a long time for us to realize that there were options and you were the one that pointed us in that direction. And I mean, we're eternally grateful to you. But I think that, I think that such an important key to the story is just how you turned, you know you now you're doing this i mean professionally i guess we could say but this <laughs> started with you just doing this because you, you because you did you know because that's just what you did and and i look at you and i think how does this woman have any more bandwidth and you just keep getting more somehow <laughs>
1: <laughs> well I, and i do i mean i i think my husband he is wholly supportive of me i I started this before my professional career. Um, I was actually um, first a workers' compensation adjuster for Walmart, working um, with different within different states, um, handling work comp claims. And I'm very customer service oriented. And that was very much like a social work position. You talk to the, the person who was injured, find out what they need, get them the treatment they need and close their client, you know, and, and so it was very, um, social work, but also customer service oriented. And I left my job. Um, I became a manager. I had worked my way up. I worked there for many years and then left my job kind of abruptly. Um, and wasn't really expecting to leave my job, but just had some negative feedback when we started expanding our family and had, um, I missed some time from work and just really had kind of a struggle with all the time that I had put it in and then um, having to miss and, and having to try to find that work-life balance, which is really difficult. And um, in that struggle, I decided to just stay home and see if we could make it. And we weren't um, we weren't really expecting that, but I, I just made a decision, and my husband supported me 100%. And when I came home, I was bored out of my mind. <laughs> I needed somebody to talk to. And so um, when DHS came in and did like a, a brief, um, oh, just like a, a the area office came and did like a, a quarterly review of my home. But they brought in the area director, which was super strange, but um, she wanted to come into some of the homes with, eight kids and see how they were doing and so they brought her to my house and as I was visiting with her I suggested that they find um, mentors for new foster parents because I felt like that was so important and I told them that if they ever had any foster parents that needed it that I would always um, be available for questions and and just talked with them and at the time they um, said hey there's this new organization called The Call you should call them and see what happens. And so I sort of fell in line because of my passion to help others when we had struggled through that first two years as a foster parent and had kind of been down our stride of this is what court looks like and this is what. And so I feel like it really has come natural to me from the beginning, from my way back when I I did workers' compensation claims to wanting to just mentor foster parents so they didn't fall into this sticky trap of not understanding the court processes and not understanding who played what role all the way to now where I am and wanting to make sure that adoptive families, um, have 100% support. And, and I, I truly do. I, I owe that to my husband and, you know, my kids um, even tonight, I was doing some work for our upcoming um, adoptive moms retreat that we're having for Grace Haven, and one of my daughters said, "Hey, mom, can I use the iPad?" And I said, "Oh, I'm working on it right now," and I could see her disappointment, and I, I kind of just brought her in and I said, "You know, I'm I'm working, and a lot of times, mom doesn't work in the evenings when you're awake because I like to spend my time with you, but tonight I really need this time." And I can see that disappoints you so we can maybe schedule some time tomorrow and I could see her heart kind of uplift, but you know, I try to really spend a lot of time when my kids are, are awake and, and with me, um, on them and they don't even necessarily know unless I'm taking a crazy phone call or something that there's <laughs> Which even,
0: happens.
1: <laughs> it does, but they don't <laughs> even realize that there's crazy going on in the background a lot of times. I work, um, a lot of times after they've gone to bed and then before they wake up and during the day while they're gone, um, to try to get as much done as I can and, and to help and support families as much as I can in that time so that I can spend a lot of quality time with them in those few short hours that we have between the time they get home from school. I said few short, they seem long some days. <laughs> <laughs> Is so, it that the because, truth? You know? The time they get home from school to the time that, that we go to bed, um, I really try to focus on them. And, and um, I, if it wasn't for their flexibility and Waylon's flexibility and support and just, you know, he sees my vision. If I say something crazy like, man, I think we should tie a purple balloon to our house and see if it floats. He's like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> Good guy,
0: that Waylon. <laughs>
1: He um, always just he used to support me. So
0: yeah. Um, okay. So what would you what would you say to that mom who who's exactly what like what we described? She's she's feeling um, really lonely because people keep giving her praise that she doesn't feel like she deserves, and she doesn't necessarily want to hide how how she really feels, but she feels forced to because. She because of that pedestal that she's on, and she doesn't feel like she even can be transparent. What would you? What do you think is the first step to 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 climbing out of that darkness?
1: Well, I think I, I think the first step um, it's twofold. Number one, if if she doesn't feel like she can be transparent anywhere, she needs to call me <laughs> because I am one hundred percent going to say I feel like I feel like. God, um, just speaks life into me sometimes. And so when I'm talking to these, these moms, I can say, you know, what are you feeling? And I can, I can get them to, to really, um, open up to me. And so if she, if she can't, um, talk to others, please call me. Um, I am, I am available 24 hours a day. I do not turn my phone off at night. Um, I, I've answered phone calls at two o'clock in the morning from, from moms that were, in distress and had kids running away or had something happen and, and I want to be there. So, um, that is besides taking care of my family and having this beautiful, crazy chaos of a life, (laughs) my passion is helping moms. And so if they, if she can call me, call me. Um, and I think if not, um, really, really turning within to, Um, find out why she doesn't think she can be transparent, but even not as much why, but there's gotta be one person. Is it your pastor's wife? Is it your, your mom? Is it your grandma, your great aunt, your best friend from college? There's gotta be somebody that you trust with your whole heart that you can talk to. Because I think that is the first step being able to find one person. And once You've got one person that you truly feel confident in talking to. It makes that story easier. And I mean, it's never easy to say, my, you know, my 15-year-old child sexually abused one of my other children. But sometimes you have to say those words and being able to say those words, talk to somebody and and get you know just even a hug <laughs> there nobody nobody's going to have all of the answers for you i'm not going to have all the answers if you call me but i will always have a listening shoulder i would i meet people for coffee i have breakfast i share in their joy when they i it's crazy to think that finding an inpatient hospital for your child can be a joyful time because it's also very sorrowful. Your, your child's no longer living with you. We have one child right now in, in inpatient hospitalization and it is hard, but there's, there is also joy there because you see that you are not crazy. You are not making these things up that somebody else, a doctor, a counselor can see that your child needs this treatment too. And so even in that brokenness of that situation, there is also great relief and great happiness that finally I may be able to get some answers. What if this is what leads us to the end uh, of this child finally being able to be a productive member of society when they're 25, 30, 35. And, um, you know, those are, are the moments that I, I want to be there and, and help the moms, um, rejoice in those moments, help them through those hard moments and, um, you know, be able to just, even if they just need me to walk the walk, I know we talked about earlier when, um, Hannah made a report to DHS and DHS came into our home to do an investigation. And, I called, um, or t- messaged out to Tina and Rebecca and just said, uh, the, this horrible thing has happened. And they were at my house within the hour.
0: That's amazing. Um, just
1: solidarity. And, and, uh, you know, they, there wasn't anything they can do. You can't stop something like that when it happens. And I really didn't want to, I wanted this to go through and I wanted you know, I wanted DHS to be able to look at it and say there was nothing there and, you know, to be able to say, look, there was nothing. But at the same time, um, you know, knowing that, that I had people there that would just come, that would just sit and just be with us is it's life altering to know that, that there are people out there. And that's what, that's what Grace Haven is. That's what, that's what I am. And that's who I want to be for any adoptive mom that's struggling any adoptive dad that's struggling any family that um, needs us we want to be there for them
0: yeah oh such good stuff annie so and and honestly i mean just back to that that um figurative mom that we were talking about i think that we've taught i mean just you know outside of this conversation we've talked about grace haven being um you know being multiplied into different areas and states and i think that that starts with with moms who are scared to be transparent who are scared to tell people what's really going on and getting to the point where they can where they can educate people on what it's really like because just because it it's hard doesn't mean that it's not worth it doesn't mean that you should quit or that people shouldn't try um and i think that that's a that's a grieving process and a learning process for every adoptive family Um, but anyway, so on that note, I kind of have some just final questions that I ask all my guests. So are you ready for that? Yes. Cool. So, okay. Um, at the beginning of this journey, what do you wish that someone had just looked you in the eye and, and made you believe them when they told you what?
1: I wish truly that I, um, that somebody would have said, You know, take some take a vacation with your spouse before you start this. Whether and and I don't even think that necessarily applies only to adoption, but to having kids in general, because it does change your life so much. And Waylon and I were so wrapped up in our loss of fertility or not not being successful in um, having a baby biologically, and that grief that that belongs with that that we weren't even thinking about going and doing something just for us. We just dove straight on in. And I really do. Um, gosh, I miss time alone with my husband. And I don't think that you ever get that back until they're
0: grown and maybe not even then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, true that. Okay, so that's a, that's a good one. I haven't. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, but I haven't had any guests say that yet. So that's awesome. Um, all right. So what is something that you wish you had done differently aside from not taking a vacation with your husband? <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, I, for me, we we have this beautiful family. And it pains me to say this because I don't ever want any of my children to think that they are not loved because they are such great treasures, but we, ha- we, we got these kiddos when they were young. Um, we adopted uh, Gavin when he was eight and Hannah was six and Tevin was four. And then almost immediately got Chloe, who was five and the twins who were just, they had just turned one um, just after adoption. And w- they were so close in age and I really didn't think about that impact. Like people would sometimes say like one of these days, they're all going to be teenagers and we would laugh and say, yes, they will. And everything will be fine. You know, we'll we'll have had them for 10 years by then, by the time they start turning to teenagers, it's going to be okay. And like life has hit us so hard. We have had just, I can't even describe the roller coasters over the last few years as our kids have become teenagers, as they've developed hormones, as they've gone through those grieving processes because when they do develop those hormones and they are crazy raging teenager hormones, they also (laughs) grieve a lot of those losses again where they lost biological family, where they don't understand how they don't know who their biological dad is. Maybe they know who mom is. They, There are lots of losses and lots of griefs that they go through. And I really, really wish that we had just maybe taken a breather after we adopted the, our first sibling group and um, not adopted or not maybe taking kids quite so close in age because they have put us through the ringer. And, Um, I love them each dearly. And I know that this time that I am putting in now, I pray every day that it is going to, (laughs) it is going to grow some fruit and that, um, you know, that they, and I see it. Um, there are moments that, uh, my 15 year old daughter will come and just give me a hug and be like, mommy, I love you. And, those moments just melt my heart because I'm like, thank you, Jesus. She doesn't say she hates me today, (laughs) (laughs) which is a real thing,
0: not just for you, but that's not Uh, uncommon. She says, she
1: says, I hate you way more than she says. I love you. I think, and I I do think that that is not uncommon. But I mean, for any teenager, much less teenagers who've been through trauma. So I think having so many teenagers this close together, um, when they were younger, I felt like, "Oh, we we can get through this." And now I'm like, "Please tell me when this is over, I'll maybe I'll open my eyes again." <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh goodness, that's awesome. Okay, well, good stuff, good stuff. Um. All right, so what is your favorite way that your tribe supported you? And I feel like we've talked about this question just within it, but maybe if you could nutshell it for us. What's your favorite way that your tribe has supported you? And also, what is a way that maybe you felt hurt or not supported despite good intentions or not good intentions, just whatever? Oh, well, I. gosh,
1: I feel like, I mean, from just all – Always our needs are always met. Um, people who have come to us and and helped provide um, uh, you know on multiple occasions. Um, we've had kids for so many years now, but um, just come out and and provide Christmas. We took two little uh, boys one um, one year, two days before Christmas and just had, I just like put out on Facebook, well, we got two new additions. I'm not sure how we're going to do Christmas, but we're going to make it work. And within hours, I mean, there were people flooding my house with gifts, with gift cards, with, I mean, everything to make sure that the, that those boys had um, a Christmas equal to no other. Wow. And, um, you know, I just I feel like those are those amazing support things that happen where people just see a need and they just fill it. Um, one year I don't, I can't remember even what year or what it exactly looked like, but, and I still to this day have no idea, but Gavin was about maybe 10. So it's six or maybe even seven years ago, answered the front door because I was holding babies
0: and (laughs) it was almost Christmas.
1: You're right. Holding lots of babies. And, um, it was almost Christmas and, the, the person at the door said, are you a Martin? And he, Gavin said, yes. And he said, great, this is for your family. Um, and Gavin said, okay, let me get my mom. And he said, no need. And was gone, like immediately gone before I could even get, put the babies down and get to the front door. And there was an envelope with $1,000 in it. Just Whoa. 10, $100 bills in an envelope for our family. And I, I, I still to this day don't know. Um, another family on the same day, a few hours later was blessed in the exact same way. Um, and so I know that it was very, um, you know, something that was very planned. I don't, I I have no idea where that came from, but those moments where, um, a few years ago, Grace Point Church came out and I was last year actually came out and did a bunch of landscaping and put a, a trampoline in our backyard to, um, Ozark Missions Project, who um, came in and built some cabinets for us and put cabinets in our house and sent a team to, to spend about three days here um, just doing little projects that Waylon and I hadn't had time to get to because we have eight kids. Um, <laughs> there are just organizations out there that that hear about um, families that foster and families that adopt and have just poured into us. I mean, I I could probably make a list and and tearfully tell you about each and every one of those things. But those those moments, um, people uh, who've sent us pizza. Oh my goodness, um, you are on that list. Um, but they, I've, I've had people call and say, "I hear you're having a rough day," or "I know something terrible has happened." Can I send pizza? And when you send pizza to my house, it's not like a normal house. Like, I, you know, like you don't just get to send two pizzas and you feed the.
0: Yeah. Like, you're like, that's cute. To, <laughs> like,
1: Oh, two pizzas. My kids will eat that for an appetizer. <laughs> and so, um, you, you know, to, to send my, my, my family, um, pizza and just let us know that you're thinking about us is, um, absolutely like it knocks my socks off. Those, those are the things that just bring me to my knees. And I just thank God for people who understand and who love us enough to make those things happen. Um, right.
0: And so, I mean, the, the, the main, like a big theme of what I'm hearing is practical stuff. And I know that just from personal experience, but uh, there's, there's different kinds of practical help. There's like actual physical needs being met, but then there's practical help in, in just ash heaping with someone, just sitting with them in their, in their, in their pain or in their struggle and knowing that you don't necessarily have to fix it, but that your presence just makes, makes them feel less alone in it. And that's so, so, so important. Yes,
1: absolutely. And I think that is so important because you, if you hit those trials and tribulations alone and you don't feel that, that connectedness, I think that's when it becomes isolating. And that's when the enemy will always attack because if we say there's nobody here, does nobody care and you start to second guess it's that little voice in your head. So I'm, I'm just always so blessed and, um, you know, humbled by people who will notice that our family is large, notice that like right now, for instance, um, Waylon and I do not have a salary through Grace Haven. We are purely volunteers, um, on a full-time basis and people who see that and say, Oh my gosh, let me help. I had a friend who brought some cleaning supplies a few weeks ago. And you wouldn't think a bottle of Windex and some tissues could make somebody cry, but they can. <laughs> <laughs> from personal uh, experience, you know this. From personal experience. So, um, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not necessarily the size of the gift as much as just knowing that we are not alone. I think that's huge. Um, and, you know, having that, that support, I think in the alternative, you asked, um, when have you been hurt or, you know, something that's happened. And I think, um, that, 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 that right there, like to my core, the hard part of that is being hurt is, It's so easy when you are internalizing everything to be hurt by nothing, if that makes any sense.
0: Well, and that's why I asked that because I want, you know, it's not to be mean at all, but the people listening, I feel like there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of good intentions out there, but there are ways that you hurt. I mean, so on the episode with Kelly Crow, we talked about people saying things like, oh, you're so cute. I could just take you home with me. And people don't realize that that is not helpful you know? And, no. and, and, and it's, it's totally great intentions. All they're saying is you're so cute, but they don't realize that what your kid hears is like, Oh, maybe I get a new mommy today. Who knows? Like she's all up in yes. the air. And so it's things like that, that I just, I feel like support systems want to know this. They want to know what they're doing that might potentially have an opposite effect of what they want.
1: Well, I think for me, the biggest thing is, um, if I have to reschedule, please don't be angry with me. I, things come up. There are eight of these little, little bitty creatures who need me all the time. And I feel like a flake so much. And I went through a really hard struggle of, I can't even really be a good friend. So I probably shouldn't. And you can fill in the blank. Shouldn't plan to go to the movies with my friends. Shouldn't go to my friend's house and swim in her backyard. Shouldn't, couldn't, wouldn't, because maybe two times out of three, I had to cancel or reschedule because things were always coming up with my kids. And so, I think, um, especially when you're newly adopted, when you're when you've adopted, you know, a sibling group, two or three kids, a teenager—that's really hard. Those things, there are going to be times that I have to say I can't come today and please don't take those things personally because i think people have and they've been hurt and in turn that's hurt me because i would never ever want my absence from something to hurt somebody but i know that it has and i know that that i have been greatly hurt then by just never being invited again by being excluded because i'm the one who has to say no two times out of 3 and oh yeah I don't want No, I don't want to be the person who says I can't do that. But we went through a a huge stretch of time where Waylon and I didn't have have a reliable person who could watch our children. And I grew up when I was young. My my baby brother was born when I was nine. By the time he was a year, eighteen months old, my mom would leave me in charge of him, and she could go do things, and I could watch him, and he didn't get hurt. Like he was fine, and. (laughs) babysat. And so like I have a 16 year old and a 15 year old, but I cannot leave them with my children. They are not um, mature enough. And, you know, because of their mental illnesses, because of the different struggles that they have, they cannot babysit. And so, um, you know, that's a real struggle and they also cannot stay alone. And so there are like parent nights where you can take your kids and drop them off. That's great. But they only take maybe, you know, to fifth or sixth grade. I've got these teenagers too. And nobody, nobody wants them. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody understands that they still need a babysitter that they can't necessarily babysit themselves because they set the house on fire. We've talked about that. So um, <laughs> that's, a you thing. know, it's a thing and it's a struggle because I, I do have to say no sometimes. And it's not that I want to say no, I want to be involved every time I have the chance, but but having eight kids, having kids with special needs, um, having kids with mental health issues, all of those things really don't allow me to get out there and um, do every single thing I want to do and have cost me some friendships have uh, really hurt me. And, you know, rather than me being able, and and that's where I've become transparent, rather than me being able to be transparent back then and say, we are really struggling and I'm probably not going to be reliable for the next six months or whatever while we struggle through this. Um, I just would say, I can't today, sorry. And then wait for them to stop inviting me. And um, I'm not that person anymore, and I'm I'm so glad I'm not, but um, I, I think that that definitely can be a struggle for, for some and, and probably is where I have received the most hurt as an adoptive mom.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, maybe the good intention is people just think that they're leaving you alone or backing off to give you more space and, and they're not seeing that it's not that you want more space. You know, what you need is for them to, them to help them baby <laughs> Right. Or them to bend a little bit so that you don't yes. have to, uh, or so that you don't feel isolated. And I, I mean, I feel like every adoptive family has experienced that myself included, where there's friends that are just like, Oh, you're just so busy. And I, I'm like, I'm not busy. I just can't leave my house, so why don't you come to me? You know, yes, exactly. please come
1: to me, but do not judge if my floor is messy.
0: <laughs> uh, I feel like that should just be a banner over <laughs> over exactly um, okay, so I mean, we've talked about so many good practical advice things. Um, so I mean, I hesitate to even ask this question, but the question is what's the biggest piece of advice. If you could just sum it all up into just like one sentence or phrase advice or encouragement to adoptive mamas. And I mean, would it be to just call you or, or do you have something else? I think
1: absolutely just call me and, and whether it's me, if they, if they feel comfortable calling me and please, I am super not scary. So please feel comfortable calling me. But if you don't, finding somebody to be transparent with and having somebody you can, you can be truthful with and, um, you know, and just ask, say, Hey, I need no judgment here, but I do not like my kid today. And, and being able to say those words and then hopefully you're going to have, be able to say those words to somebody who turns around and says to you, it's okay. And or gives you the, <laughs> exactly. Cause exactly. you've exactly. said that to me before. <laughs> <laughs> And so I think um, finding that person, if it's not me, um, whoever it is in your life that you can truly be honest with. And, you know, it it, it could be your spouse. Maybe that's time for you and your spouse to be alone and, and just say, I don't like my kid today. Or maybe that's like we talked about your best friend, your college roommate, somebody maybe it's somebody who lives way far away from you and you can just tell them over the phone, whatever that looks like. Um, just finding that person that, you know, will give a sympathetic ear, I think is super important.
0: Awesome. And I mean, Oh, so, so good, Annie. I just am so appreciative that we finally made this work and that you were willing to lend me your time and, uh, take it away from your littles. Tell them I'm sorry, but, um, okay. So, Speaking of being able to call you or contact you, where can anyone find you on social media or um, elsewhere?
1: Yes. Well, my um, phone number, they can call me um, 479-633-2288. If they look me up on social media, my name is Annie Martin on Facebook, but they're going to probably want to search my um, private uh, email address, which is S a s e l i g at a t t dot net, and um, or they can call um email me at Annie Martin at GraceHavenHome.com. dot com, and if they will find me, whether it's um, and we have Grace Haven Ministries has a Facebook page um, from Rogers, Arkansas. If they'll find that Facebook page, they can they can message the Facebook page. Those messages come to me. Um, they can find me and message me privately. I will I, if I don't know who they are. I usually will send a message and say, "Who are you and what do you want?" Because you never know if somebody's coming, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> trolls or whatever. But yeah. um, if somebody friends me and I don't see that I have friends in common with them and and things like that, then I'll usually. Um, ask, Hey, what's going on? Or, or what do you, you know, who are you? And, and, but I accept all friend requests. I am pretty much there for anybody, however they want to reach out to me, whether it's phone, text, email, whatever. Um, I am just always available.
0: You're just super accessible and we thank you for it. We're ever grateful. Um, okay, so yeah, thanks, Annie. I just am so thankful that you came on the show and it's it was just such a good chat. I Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I know this stuff is hard and I hope you found encouragement here. Remember, you are enough and you're doing a great job. God wants to be at the center of this journey and he is big enough to redeem all of our mistakes. Don't forget to check out show notes and other resources at the AdoptiveMomPodcast.com. Thanks again for listening.